This is a podcast by The Straits Times. And now it's time for our regular sports show, Game of Two Halves, every Monday at 5.15, where we host the sports podcasters from The Straits Times. I'm Rachel Kelly, standing in for Bernard Lim, and with me are sports correspondents, Sazali Abdulaziz and David Lee. Hi, guys. Hi, Rachel. How are you both doing? Good. As good as the situation allows us to be. Good to hear. When we get started, most of the world of sports has been put on ice during this global coronavirus pandemic, but some, like chess, have been able to continue online. And Sazali, I remember we spoke about Kevin Goh, Singapore's first chess grandmaster for over two decades just a few weeks ago. And over the weekend, you wrote a story about the local chess scene. Can you tell us more about how this feature came about? Yeah, precisely. So the whole thing got started when you know, we reported, like you mentioned, on, on Kevin Goh becoming Singapore's only second local-born Grandmaster. The Grandmaster, of course, is the highest title a chess player can earn, and it's awarded by the World Chess Federation. We also thought it was a, a pretty interesting achievement, and it got us thinking, you know, why aren't there more Singaporeans who reach the top of chess? So with that premise, we got the ball rolling and, and, you know, in doing research for this feature that appeared in the Sunday Times over the weekend and talking to people in the local fraternity, we found that there are actually quite a number of talented young players under the age of 20 right now who have risen quite high in the World Chess Federation rankings. And they've even achieved various titles like International Master or Candidate Master that's, that are a couple of rungs below Grandmaster. So we thought it would be interesting to speak to them and, and feature them, including some of these very talented young boys. So how many are there then? I mean, is, is chess the new hot online game with everybody on lockdown or what's happening? In speaking to Kevin just a couple of weeks ago and he said yes it has certainly been boosted by the lockdown but he says it has been on a on a rise in general as well. I think in general any type of game that there is like sort of esports based like uh, also I think we mentioned this uh, last week in, on the podcast as well has uh, enjoyed a bit of a boom but yeah no chess has been quite popular online for a number of years now. The only difference is now you know players can't go out and actually have face-to-face games so they take to the online platforms more often. So can you tell us more about these talented young chess players here in Singapore? Who are they? I mentioned, you know, that there are a few of them, delayed uh, players who are, you know, have done quite well at their young age. And two of them in particular caught the eye. You know, one is Go Zuhan, who is 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is a boy called Siddharth uh, Jagadish, who is two years older at 13. So the way I found them was, you know, the, the World Chess Federation actually lists each country's top players and their dates of birth, you know, on the website. So I had to do a double take when I saw that, you know, Zuhan was born in 2009 <laughs> and he's already a candidate master. Well, Siddharth is already a FIDE master, which is one rung higher. So I actually did check and it turns out, you know, it is true. We have an 11-year-old candidate master. So I got in touch with their parents to learn more about their journey in chess so far, how they got started. And, you know, the, the listeners uh, who are listening in can, can read it in our article that's still up online now. But basically, both of them picked up the game at five. You know, Zuhan won the National five. Kindergarten Championships. Yeah, he won the National Kindergarten Championships. I didn't know there was even such a thing. And, you know, once they displayed an aptitude for the game, their parents decided to throw their full support uh, behind them, you know, in the last two or three years. That's quite amazing. So from age five, can you tell us, I mean, what kind of training do they undergo? Is it as intense as other sports? So how do they keep their chess game sharp at the age of five to the age of 11 or 13? Basically, they, they start out just by sort of learning the game, the basics. And then, you know, if they enjoy it, they pick it up fast. They have an aptitude for it. In their cases, their parents decided they wanted to get, you know, international coaches for them. You know, coaches who are, you know, obviously ranked high by the World Chess Federation to train them. So these online coaching sessions cost between, you know, 40 and $50 per hour. Right. Uh, yeah, and they train between two to four hours a day, and then they, you know, they, they do a lot of things. They they study notes, they play games, they read book on chess, chess strategy. So, so 
yes, that's strategy. So, yeah, these boys put in a lot of hard work in the downtime. It's not just, you know, being exceptionally talented or naturally talented. They actually have to do a lot of research. And the thing is, they enjoy it. So, kudos to them. That's great. I mean, two to four hours a day, that's that's quite a time investment. And they're only 11 and 13 now. So, how far do you think they can go? They're certainly very talented. If they can keep their momentum going, I think it's only a matter of time before they reach that elusive Grandmaster title that, that has eluded so many Singaporean players. But it's not easy. They have a, a number of requirements to fulfil and a whole host of variables will come into play as they get older. For example, Zuhan, he has you know travelled to 16 countries in the past three years to compete and, and to train and to hone his skills. But next year, he has his PSLE examinations. You know, so that, that you know, and his parents have already said you know that's part of the reason why they, they give him so much exposure in the last two to three years because they know when he's in primary six he'll have to sort of refocus on his academics again for the PSLE exam. So Siddharth and Zuhan, their progress and trajectory might get a little stunted here and there but you know as long as they remain committed and passionate about the game, you know, they probably can reach the top before they reach twenty. That's really impressive. Now you also noted in the article that Singapore only has one gold medal in chess at the Sea Games to show for. Why is that the case then if we've got this kind of breeding ground for these five year olds yeah. playing chess? Yeah, precisely. It's a, it's a curious one. Singapore has one of the highest number of chess players in schools per capita in Asia. You know, this combined with the fact that, you know, our students are often touted as being the brightest in the world. You know, last year I came across a study that ranked Singaporean 15-year-olds second globally in reading, maths and science behind only China. So it seems like we have all the ingredients to do well, but this isn't exactly the case. And, and Singapore Chess Federation President Chris Lim put him and he said the reason is pretty much similar to why Singapore hasn't produced any Nobel Prize winners and that intelligence and academic excellence does not always equate to ability to play chess well and here is where I found that you know basically chess is the same as so many other sports you know to truly do well and be very successful requires a whole lot of sacrifice I mentioned the amount of hours Mm. the boys have put in into their, their training and competing despite their tender age. And, you know, the parents have also had to make um, sacrifices. You know, they, they have devoted time. You know, they have to make uh, adjustments to their work arrangements. All the travelling have also obviously resulted. In countries? In, yeah. What, what was it one or two years? That's impressive. In about two to three years, yeah. Mm. So the financial outlay also has obviously been, been huge. You know, both parents uh, of these two boys have spent, you know, six-figure sums to try and get their boys as far as they can in the sport. So basically, you know, like I said, it's basically like any other sport. You need hard work, dedication talent and exposure and, and over time you'll see if it works out so hopefully these two boys and, and the other young chess players I said you know can, can do Singapore proud in the international chess scene in the years to come and time will tell when that will be Well great stuff Sazali and we wish the local chess community all the best and hope they continue to do Singapore proud Now if you like the Straits Times game of two halves you can listen live on Money FM 89.3 from 5.15pm every Monday or you can subscribe to hashtag game of two halves on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast or Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now back to the second half of our conversation with our Straits Times podcasters, Sazali and David, still in the local ski, local scene, but let's, t- let's talk about football and the Singapore Pre- Premier League now. Now the SPL has been suspended since March. When could it resume and what are you guys hearing from the ground? So um, the good news is that local clubs, uh, they are not cutting pay 
and uh, the players are staying motivated and training as hard as they can uh, in the current circumstances. But the local coaches, I mean the, the SPL coaches, they tell us that even if the circuit breaker ends as scheduled on 1st of June, it would not be ideal for the league to resume immediately. Like what coaches from other leagues are saying, to avoid injuries, they feel that they will need sort of like a mini pre-season of a few weeks, of a couple of weeks before they, they, they start playing competitively. Yeah, and, and, and given it's currently the Muslim month of Ramadan, where most of the SPL players are fasting, that adds to the decline or the slump in terms of the physical level of the players. It's really a major concern to the coaches that we spoke to who note that the break, which you know has been five weeks and counting and it'll be about nine by the time June 1st uh, rolls around, is really unprecedented and, and it, it, it's more than twice longer than the usual end-of-season break. So And even then, during the normal end-of-season break, the players take between three to six weeks of downtime and then they are back doing light training to build up their fitness and they have sometimes three months to, to do that. So the coaches that we spoke to are saying that at least three and ideally six weeks of a mini preseason almost um, that David was talking about is needed before competitive mm. games can resume. What about the rest of Southeast Asia? When are they resuming their leagues and how will this impact their respective national teams? The Cambodian league was looking to return at the end of April, but as you know, that, that has passed and they didn't kick off. The Malaysian and Thai leagues, uh, they are looking at resuming in September and they, have, uh, they are also catering for a mini pre-season to shake off the ring rust. But the other leagues are less clear. Anyway, if ASEAN football does resume, it will also throw up the possibility that the biannual Suzuki Cup could take place at the end of this year. But that will also mean the leagues may face a rush to finish their seasons and there will be concerns over a packed schedule. If this materialises, uh, as in the, the Suzuki Cup kicks off uh, at the end of the, the, mm-hmm. this year, maybe the ASEAN countries will look at doing away with their cup competitions, for example, or even shortening their seasons to play just one round of league football instead of the two like they have done for in usual seasons. And in Europe, some leagues like the Dutch and the French are already called off. What are the repercussions of such a move and do you see this happening in Southeast Asia? Yeah, so some leagues in Europe like the Belgium, Dutch and French leagues are already called off, but they have all used different approaches. For example, in the Belgian and French leagues, uh, runaway leaders Club Bruges and Paris Saint-Germain, they have been crowned champions respectively, uh, while the relegated teams have also been decided. But again, even within these two leagues, there are differences. As the top Belgian leagues, Belgian teams, like Pada, all played 29 games. The dispute mm-hmm. is not as strong as in France, you know, where some teams played 27 games, some other teams played 28 games. And then the league was ultimately determined by a points-per-game basis. And already Lyon, who was fifth, but they finished seventh by this calculation method, they have said they will appeal because... They have played more away games and they have played strong teams like the champions PSG twice already. So they are at a disadvantage. And then in Holland, the Eredivisie has ended without even a champion or relegated teams after 25 games. So you can imagine the disappointment of Ajax who are currently top on goal difference and also the relief of Warwick who are bottom by a good margin. The major repercussions, I think, if a league is decided and positions are finalised without all games are being played, I think the, the, the major one is obviously financial. You know, Dave, David mentioned Lyon, they have even threatened legal action, you know, against League One and the French sports authorities for because they claim that not qualifying for Europe equates to dozens of millions of euros and for the EPL clubs, falling through that trapdoor and, and getting relegated is 
is going to be a massive financial hit even with English football's unique you know, parachute payment scheme for, for relegated teams. As for whether we could see same in, in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. I think that answer is, is you know, not likely. Leagues in ASEAN take place following the calendar year, unlike those in Europe which play between autumn and the summer. So all the leagues in Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Indonesia, you know, most, most of them have played about four rounds each. However, considering they would have played you know, at least a third of the season by this stage, normally I think that there will be a huge fixture congestion you know coming up uh, if they try to squeeze 20 or so games in the next four months David mentioned the lucrative Suzuki Cup is scheduled for the year end and this is before you take into account you know some clubs have continental exertions as well in the AFC Cup or Champions League so I think even if the coronavirus situation sort of dies down it'll be one headache gone and another headache for the league administrators in ASEAN well thanks for the update guys and there goes the final whistle on our sports discussion of the week we hope you enjoyed listening to us glad to have you both uh, Sazali and David Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.